My name is Tim Freak. I call myself a philosopher, but essentially I'm simply a deeply curious human being. Today I'm in Colorado to speak to integral philosopher Ken Wilbur. Ken is often cited as one of our leading living thinkers for his work on synthesizing science and spirituality. I came across Ken's books about 20 years ago, and his evolutionary ideas have been a big influence on my own. We've been chatting since the moment we arrived, and your mind, one of the things I love about your work is exactly this encyclopedic quality which you bring to it. I feel that's the thing you bring more than anything else I love. Uh, but I want to start off a conversation with something really simple. Um, because it, that's, I guess that's where it starts, I presume for all of us, for me it does, is that ever since I can remember as a little boy, I've been waking up in the morning and this is happening. Yeah. And uh, I've been wondering for the last almost, whatever it is now, nearly 60 years, of going, what is it? What should I do with it? What happens when it comes to an end? So maybe let's just start with the first one. What is it? Um, you know, you're obviously you've yeah. explored it in some detail. What, what, what's the simple? What's the essence of what you see this thing we're in is? Right. Um, well, I mean, it really is true, um, and 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 it's still true that it doesn't matter what kind of knowledge you have or how much you think you know about things or understand things or anything like that. It, the act, the absolute mystery of our existence is absolutely core, you can't get rid of it. Um, and, I mean, look at this. I mean, this is actually happening. Do you believe that? Where on earth is that coming from? And I mean, again, it doesn't matter how much you know or think you know, it's a bloody mystery. Um, and that's what's interesting about it. Because what did seem to happen as I mean, I've joked before that it's like, um, it looks like about the oldest Homo sapiens sapiens skeleton we have now, modern human skeleton. It looks like it was about 200,000 years, but now it looks like it's about 300,000 years old. And with all, you know, kind of like this, and, and, and I'm convinced that the very first words out of the very first human being, direct quote is, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and among our religion. Um, but it's certain, it's just compelling, it's overwhelming, you can't get away from it. Uh, and yet there's no obvious immediate answer to it. Well, one of the things which, which I find remarkable is that everyone isn't walking around with it the whole time. It feels like, isn't it interesting that we're so unconscious, collectively, that we don't notice the most obvious thing? Because the most obvious thing is nobody knows what this is. Yeah. But actually, mostly, I mean, we don't notice that we don't yeah. know what this is. Yeah. And one of the things that you have to sort of, it's almost a kind of decision that you have to make in the face of this mystery. And that is, um, do I think that either from what I've heard or from what I can tell in my own experience or whatever, do I have any reason to believe at all that there's some sort of ground of being that is there in some way? And that it can be connected with that mystery, might be that mystery itself. But because that mystery is sort of ever-present, I mean, it just doesn't go away. And if you really are kind of standing back and looking at everything that's going on in my experience, 
And there's only one thing that doesn't change. And that's that mystery is there yeah. all the time. Yeah. And that's yeah. starting that's the one thing to that doesn't change. That's sound right. like a ground of all being. That's right. It's Very good. Spaceless, I like that. timeless, exactly. ever present, yes. eternal. Yes. Really. So then he sees occasionally worldwide. Well, um, one Jewish mystic was asked how to summarize his experience, his awareness, what was necessary to get whatever it was that he had. And it was very simple. He said, contemplate the mystery of your existence. So one of the things which comes with that, so I would say my personal journey started, was I had a kind of spontaneous awakening right. when I was 12, didn't stay, right. it was enough, I was off. And then right. it was like, and one of the things which was there straight away, which is always keeps coming back and seems essential is, is also, there's the mystery and then is it good? Yeah. Is it okay? Right. You know, when I wrote one of my biggest books on Gnostic mythology, yeah. at the end I was with my partner, Peter Gandhi, who I was writing with, and we were like, how can we say what this is? And what's the real nut of that gnosis? And it felt like, well, it's kind of like something almost as banal as it's okay. Yeah. That there's a kind of feeling of, that despite yeah. everything, all yeah. of the, ah, yeah. there's a goodness here. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of the things that starts to happen is you do see um, a large number of people, east and west, that really do start to actually just look into that mystery, to actually just get into that mystery and to just give it a very constant awareness and say, okay, what is going on here? What is going on here? And it turns out that there is, for the people who actually do that and, and do it as a practice, that they tend to have types of realization that come with that. And if you take all of those from around the world and put them on the table, there's parts of them that start to look very, very similar wherever they show up. And again, here you have to, as I say, almost make a kind of decision, um, which is, let's say um, that I'm a modern-day scientist, and so I, I, I believe that Basically, it's, the whole world is this material interactive process, and there are a lot of systems, holistic systems going on, but they're all objective, third-person it things inter, interweaving it and all of that. And I believe that because of certain neurophysiological firings that you can do, and sexual neurophysiological firings, what causes this is that you'll have this experience, this Satori experience, this ultimate unity consciousness experience, and that it's into this deep mystery. And one of the reasons the mystery is a mystery is you can't know anything about it. It's an object. I mean, you just you, it, there might be some knowledge back there, but you can't. It's not in your objective awareness. That's a mystery. And for some of the people pushing into that. Can you say that again, Ken? So yeah. the, the, the mystery, I, but isn't it also true that the thing which is in your objective awareness is also the mystery, isn't this also? Well, yeah, sure, and that's and and so the whole point is you're trying to say, okay, well, what, what can I even say about that mystery? And a fair number of people who are making a practice out of looking into it yeah. would come up with a couple of things, and one of the most common was, okay, there is that mystery, but most people aren't really even that much in touch with that mystery, but you can do that. You can actually almost become yeah. that mystery. Yeah, absolutely right. And when you do that, then it's described in a couple different ways. But one of the very most common is it, 
itself is a vast emptiness. And that really means you can't qualify it. You can't just make it a single object, and that's different from other objects. It's radically empty of all things and events, which means it can't be categorized, it can't be qualified, it can't be given a characteristic. And that's one of the reasons it shows up as a mystery, is it won't fit into any box at all. So you can't define it, you can't limit it. That's you know, right. All you can do is limit the bits that make it up for the thing itself. Or you can plunge into that mystery so much yeah. that you awaken to the fundamental, ultimate reality of emptiness, of this yeah. vast, yeah. infinite abyss. Is of, another word that you could use for that potentiality? You can. The and kind of this is where you have to be a little, yeah, you have to be a little bit careful, because the, one of the major conclusions that comes out of this is, even though everybody is plunged into mystery, moment to moment to moment, yeah. there's a kind of... Um, sort of inattentive flitting around and being fearful and worrying and not knowing this and not knowing that and so on. And then there's this more steady pushing down into mystery until it really opens up as this vast infinite abyss or emptiness or unqualifiability. And, the, and what that means is you can't really use any words or labels or terms. They just don't work. And one of the reasons they don't work is that almost any word we use Makes sense only in terms of its opposite. Exactly. So yeah. you ever yeah, seen yeah. infinite yeah. versus finite, yeah. pleasure yeah. versus pain? Uh, that's versus... true of emptiness as well, though, isn't it? Well, that, exactly. And so, and one of the problems is, uh, even though all these words have opposites, reality itself doesn't have an opposite. It, it's not that you realize something you say that's that's it, that's reality. Oh, and then there's the other thing that, that it's not. No, no. Whatever reality is, it's absolutely radically all-embracing. So and words won't work for that. Um, and even if we say, well, it absolutely includes everything like that, then you can, you can say, yeah, well, there's the other universe where that's excluded. So, so, so one of the ways I deal with that is what a thing that I, I mean, is a kind of version of dialectics, but it's a, what I call paralogical thinking, which means taking complementary opposites and holding them both at the same time, not as contradictory. Yes. So because I can't get away from that, it feels like a description of this moment is yes. the emptiness and the form. Yes. The timeless and the time. Yes. My story and the mystery. That's right. And see, and if I can see them both, it feels like well, yeah. that's that's what it is. It's yeah. those two together. And one one distinction is made. That that's a, a very common conclusion that we find east and west. Yep. And so it really is. Um, it's a yin yang thing, isn't it? Well, it goes into things like dialectical Dialectics thinking. Or, yeah. um, the Christian mystics call it coincidentia oppositorum, yeah. unity of opposites. It's the key and, idea in the Renaissance. It comes all the way through, doesn't it? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Now, in a certain sense, that's like much, much closer, but not exactly there. And the distinction is there's uh, um, differentiations made between knowledge by description and knowledge by acquaintance. Yeah. So we can, and, and pretty much most of the great mystical systems do maintain that literally, it, well, it, Nagarjuna, for example, would say we pick any quality you think ultimate reality has. Just call that X. Mm -hmm. And then he gives this elaborate demonstration that whatever else it is, it's not X or not X mm -hmm. or both or neither. Okay, so there you're using the, like the via negativa. You're just getting, you're, you're moving beyond any. That's the point. You've gone uh, beyond the duality because it's beyond the duality. Exactly. But isn't and, there a sense in which even to, to think about the duality, well, to think about the non-dual, you end up with the Here's the, dual. the path that people tend to go. Okay. Um, one is from that Nagarjuna himself says that 
he's not saying that this actual framework itself, that that is ultimate reality. The whole point of him doing that is to get you to stop conceptually thinking about it. Yeah. So you actually fall So that's where it's by acquaintance. Not that's when acquaintance. you go. That's right. Yeah. And, and so can you say what that is? No. No. No, you actually actually have to do it. Yeah, that's that's the trick on that okay. one. Okay, I hear what you're saying. Absolutely right. Right, and that's a but that's a, those two forms of knowledge. They're another. That's kind of what I mean by the mystery and the story. There's the story, which is what I'm exploring with right. you, because we're here and I've come to visit you, and there's a story, right. and we have words, and then there's. That's right, and that is it. With the same, you're the same with any name you use, even one that's trying to take that into account, like emptiness. Yeah, because on the one hand, emptiness, the way. Nagarjuna uses it, is it really is meant as a non-dual, unqualifiable yeah. that includes yeah. everything. And so, if, if you, but if you think it's emptiness more as like a, a characteristic and something like formlessness or nothingness. Um, and there are states of consciousness that you can get into mm. that really are cessation. They're actually called the road, and, and it's actually a version of nirvana. And that's what the original Buddhists are trying to yeah. do. Yeah. And it's very much like deep, dreamless sleep. Yeah. Yeah, but, con really but conscious. Of, right. Yeah. So that is a kind of nothingness, except what we find is that long-term meditators can actually go through not only a dream state and have lucid dreams, but a very subtle awareness can continue into deep dreamless sleep. Which is the... Con the, the Constant consciousness. Con con you realize yeah. that, yes, yeah, yeah. so you start to... That's another form of that kind Which of... Which is mystery. that kind of bliss you get when you wake up, and you kind of feel like, well, oh, that was good, but you can enter that consciously. It, it, exactly. So... Yeah, exactly, yeah. But then it's, um, what... What the non-dual traditions would try to do, if emptiness actually meant something like a real formlessness or nothingness, then that's where the Heart Sutra would say, for example, emptiness is not other than form, and form yeah. is not other than emptiness. Yeah. So they exactly. just think it's, you know, yeah. it's coincidental. Yeah. That's, that, that's, that's it. Yeah. And Nagarjuna would say, that's what I mean by emptiness. Yeah. Except if you actually say that, no. That's not it. So one of Nor the, is what I just said. So one of the either. polls, the That's reason, the right reason I like the word uh, of one of the, and, and I completely get that any word is going to be with its polar opposite, right. but some of those polls are interesting, for sure, obviously. Right. And one of, the, one of the reasons I mentioned potentiality is because that keys in with one of the great insights in your work, which attracts me to it, is this evolutionary model that this flow of form, this flow of time, is evolving. Right. And therefore, one of the things I've been playing with is, look, if you wanted to nail something about this, it is the realization of potentiality. Because look, this has just happened for the first time. And this has just happened for the first right. time. And it's constantly building on everything that has happened. So that here we are in this moment, and implicit in it is everything that's ever been, right. and everything that could be. So right. those two are just the same thing. Right. And they're meeting here, and here we are. And one of the things which it's the best I can do to try and articulate why it could be good, given that it's not good. Yeah. Is that evolutionary movement that it seems to want to keep, it just can't help itself but emerge to right. build and build and build. And there's something about that pushing forward which right. is itself good. Well, <coughs> and one of the things that, um, that did sort of become apparent as this whole human mystery moved forward um, is that on the one hand, they did have people who really were just plugging into that mystery. And in a sense, we're discovering it wasn't a mystery because it really was a vast emptiness. You really could never know that as a yeah. fixed thing or object. But you could plunge into it so much so that you actually, you didn't just know the mystery as a subject knowing an object, you simply were that mystery. Can I, can I ask you this? Because my own experience has been throughout that 
the, the more I've, the, more, the part of me that has some idea of what you mean, yeah. in my own experience, yeah. it coincides with love. Well, that's right. And that seems to me a big part of the mystery. It, it coincides with what? And that's a, yeah. a feeling. A, it, that's, a, that's not empty. It's some it, kind no, of fool. No, and here's, there's most of, of, these, of these great traditions um, do make a distinction. For example, in, in Vedanta, the distinctions made between what's called um, nirguna and Brahman, saguna, yeah. saguna yeah. Brahman. Yeah. And nir means without. Yeah. And we see. You see NIR in a lot of the Eastern traditions. So that's without form and with it's, form, it's, yes? You know, without stuff, without shadows, getting yeah. to the light beyond the cave. So it's nirvana, with, without yeah. Like yeah. It's yeah. nervy kalpa, without thinking. Yeah. It's nero, pure cessation. And so, yeah. um, so there is that type of state, and you can actually get into it. And when they say there is no pain, and no suffering, and no ego, they mean it literally. Yeah. And we saw examples of this in the Vietnam War, for example, when monks who were protesting the war yeah. got into that and could, nirvana state, yeah. had their bodies doused in gasoline, burned to the ground, didn't flinch once. I mean, they... That's just incredible, no isn't it? Yeah. That's just incredible. It's unbelievable. That's a pure nirvana yeah. state. Yeah. And the gardener comes along and says, Look, I'm not saying that's not real or it's not important. That's great. But it's not, it's not really the deepest. It's not the ultimate reality because... You can get into, there's another state of consciousness. That state's called Turiya, but there's another one called yep. Turiya, which is beyond Turiya. Yeah. You can get into that formless nothingness, literally. But then you can also have the entire manifest world arise. And those are not two, those are not two. Yeah. And so emptiness is not other than form. Yes. Form is other than emptiness, and nirvana is not other than samsara. And samsara is not other than nirvana. And that's a profound, isness, thusness, oneness of everything. They're both the same. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so a lot of the traditions say, okay, right, and even though we can't say this literally, but that's what we mean by ultimate, ultimate, ultimate reality. That's nirguna, but nirguna doesn't mean without, it means neither with nor without, nor both, nor neither. You can't qualify it in any way at all, but you can't have that experience. You can know that by acquaintance, you can have that experience of being absolutely one with every single thing that's arising yeah. everywhere. And we are, but, that, but when that happens, yeah, it, it's not empty. Well, that's the thing. Here, when that happens, okay. there's this, there's this, well, whatever you want, agape, love, met, I mean, something arises, which is incredibly human as well, kind okay. of rich back into the particular. Okay, let me, so, okay so there's two parts. Let, let me finish the first part. Okay, sorry. Some call it neuron. There, there's a nirguna, yeah. Brahman. But then there's also, in, in, in a sense, it's sort of a metaphor, but in, in, in most cases, it's really not. It's actually when this vast, unqualifiable, whatever it is, starts to give rise to a manifest world, one of the first things that comes out is this ultimate reality with qualities. Yes. Now, what kind of qualities does it have? And here's where there's a, a, an extraordinary sort of agreement among those, is that you take any set of dualities that you want, good versus evil, beauty versus ugliness, um, uh, evil versus uh, morally good, um, bliss versus torture, um, true versus false, good versus bad, you take any of those, and then take the positive part of that duality, and then capitalize it. So what you really mean is 
This is, for example, love versus hate. Well, th there is an individual love, and it's different from hate. And then there's an all-embracing capital L love that you can experience while you experience a little love or a little hate. There's still this absolute love yeah. that's present. Yeah. And the same is true of true versus false, and a capital T truth. And then there's beauty versus ugly, and a capital B beauty. So where are you putting this? Well, you take all of those positives, the good, the true, yeah. the beautiful, yeah. being, consciousness, yeah. bliss. Yeah. God is love, yeah. love, capital yeah. L, yeah. love. Yeah. Yeah. And that means I, the Lord, make the light to fall on the good and the bad alike. I, the Lord, do all these things. I'm yeah. not making love fall just on the on love. Yeah. But I am, but it's a love that embraces good and bad. Yeah. So almost all the traditions maintain that Sakuna Brahman is a capital letter of the any dualistic thing that you want. And so for Vedanta, it's it's capital B being, which means it under, underlies small being and nothingness. Yeah, yeah. Um, sat, chit, chit, consciousness. Yeah, yeah which is underlying both aware states and things that don't. So, so you'd see this as foundational? For Saguna Brahman. And, okay, so, so one of the... In a sense, we can say God is good, or God is love, or what's arising has some sort of is positive... See, see my, 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 the, the place I'd go with that now, because if you go to my early books, you'll definitely find a huge influence by the traditions that you're talking about. The place I've ended up now is thinking, can we, can, can we take this, this, the idea that, that life is an that existence is the realization of potentiality on more emergent levels and see it coming from the simplest things. Let's imagine that our universe is the f first universe. Obviously, it probably isn't, but let's imagine that it started with you know, hydrogen 13.8 billion years ago, that it has increased. And that therefore what happens is that those things like my experience of, of the emptiness as love yeah. is what happens when something on the emergent level of a human being who's experiencing psyche, soul, this whole imaginal realm as well as the sensual, enters into being conscious of being, because right. it's now conscious, it arises as these beauty, love, that it's actually, it's actually where it's going. That they, it, it kind of, as the subject object evolves, there's the, it can eventually reflect back in and go, oh, there's the emptiness from which it's all come. In fact, that's, right. it's here right now. Right. And as I recognize it there, I'm separate and individual, and I'm not. Right. And with that comes connection, and that feels like love or that comes with beauty, and even beauty in the ugliness. Like, right. wow, it's all beautiful. Right. And that's your capital letters that, that are coming. And that what makes it good is that, that, that that's an emergent quality. Right. You know, it's hard to see hydrogen is good or bad. It's just what yeah. it is. And it's, but by the time you've reached this level that we're playing with now in this realm of the psyche where you know, it's not right. made of matter and it's made right. of ideas, that we have those things. One of the things that tends to happen is that as human beings continue to sort of try to figure this damn mystery out, um, and they've already sort of, sort of divided up into, well, as far as we can tell, and in terms of as we compare our own experience with each other and we communicate these things, we try to see if we're seeing the same thing, you know, to get those all lined up, is that there is this ever-present mystery that's arising. Yeah. And, and you really can 
just sort of, you know, just kind of be responding to it without a great deal of awareness or attention, and you're just sort of fearful and, and you don't really see it very clearly. Or you can actually go right into that thing yeah. and go right down to the bottom where it's a vast, infinite, unqualifiable. Yeah. And when that's, that's always going to be a mystery. You're never going to. Yeah. That's what get it your is. hands on what yeah, that there, is. There's no answer to it because that's what it get, is. Yeah. Get used to mystery. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but now there's a difference between that mystery is knocking you around or you finding that mystery in the very core of you and you can actually feel that that's what you are, that there's yeah. a part of you because that mystery is ever present as a part of you that's completely present in you. And that's why when sort of the metaphysicians would start talking about this, they would say, okay, there is that mystery as as emptiness as ground of all being and that ground of all being is infinite and eternal now this is just something we're putting into words but these are important words yeah and infinity doesn't mean a really 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 big space yeah it means a point without space yeah so because infinity is spaceless 100 percent of it can appear at every Everyone. single finite point of space yeah and so from point of space all of infinity is right here yeah all of it. Yeah. And if you experience infinity here, you've experienced it everywhere. Yeah. Now, that's what it feels like. But you also, when you come out of it, you have to kind of make that decision. Because even if I'm going to be just a scientist and just allow third-person relative truths and objects to come into awareness, and then I have this experience. First of all, I might even, go when I come out and I start interpreting and thinking about it, am I even going to allow that there's some sort of mystery, some sort of ground that really is the ground of all things and events. It's been here at all points of space and time. Yeah. Back to the Big Bang. Yeah. And whatever there was before yeah. that, it's yeah. the same yeah. emptiness. And that's really if you allow that, that's a fairly common experience had in most of the cultures around the world and that's identified as ultimate truth. Yeah. And it always remains an, uh, a mystery because it really is vastly beyond anything that, that we can experience. But we can experience it because 100% of it is present here. And so same with eternity. Eternity isn't a really long, long, long period of time. I mean, if that were true, uh, in order to have any sort of spiritual experience of eternity, we'd have to live forever. Yeah, but, very, very good point. Yeah. It, feel, it feels eternity like isn't, it's, it's here now, isn't it? Eternity is not a long period of time. It's a point without time. Yeah. So it's sort of, uh, so one of those polarities, when I look at the moment now, I did a book called How Long Is Now, which was partly exploring this, because it felt like, ah, oh, this whole, it, it, there's a flow of time, and it, is it now? It's like the, it's like the, the whole be here now. It always feels like, oh, how did you do that? Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, because there isn't, it's just, there's flow. There's right. the Heraclitus, it's just all flowing. And then there's something which has no form, which is always, always. Yeah, and, 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 and they coexist. Exactly right. And again, in the same way that 100% that of infinity is present at every single finite point. Yeah. Because eternity is a point without time. It's timeless. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like in geometry, a point. Yeah. 100% of it is fully present at every point of time. Yeah. So living in the timeless now, then we're directly in touch with that eternal, yeah. eternity, really. Yeah. And, and that's the same eternity is present at every point of time. Yeah. So, I mean, even Wittgenstein, Ludwig Wittgenstein, Mr. Logical Positive, I mean, this is a direct quote from the Tractatus. If we take eternity to mean not everlasting temporal duration, but a moment without time, then eternal life belongs to those who live in the present. 
Yeah, that's a great quote. I love it. It's good. Yeah, and, and you wouldn't think it was going to be Wittgenstein. Yeah, I know. God, he's out, there's a lot of those kinds of statements. I, I quite like him. I loved him. At university, he was my favorite. because yeah. he, Partly because he contradicted, you know, he did two completely different philosophies. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Anyone who can question themselves that deeply is yeah. worth listening to. So one of the things that started to happen is we did see that there was the approach is sort of directly plunging into this mystery. And, and, and it really was unfolding into this ultimate ground of being. And then there also was, the, at least in the early um, stages, that was separated from just this relative world that didn't know that. Yeah. So we started to get this whole notion of like shadows in a cave and then yeah. light beyond the cave. Yeah. Um, Theravadan Buddhism, yeah. which Mahayana would derogatorily call Hina Yana, yeah. means small yeah. boat. They were big boat. Um, so, but they really did. Things get, don't change. Yeah. They really did get off of samsara and yeah. any minute, get out, yeah. get into yeah. pure neuro, pure manifestation. That, that, that idea that we're in a mistake, we need to get rid of. Absolutely. One of the things I love about the whole evolutionary model is it plays against the fall. And I see so much of old spirituality being basically saying, at least in the small print, this is an illusion, God's having yep. a dream, there's been a mistake, yep. there's some cosmic fuck up right and you're stuck in a body and right. if you can get rid of it or worse you know you've got a self get rid of that you're thinking well that's bad get rid of that right rather than what i love about the evolution which seems so optimistic which captures that feeling on my journey of life and awakening it's been like just there's something good here it's right. and that and that it's not just a big mistake right that we're building on the lesser to create to reach towards the, the great yeah well and and that's one of the things that you can see as we well, the decision was made, okay, there's light outside and then there's shadows in the cave, but we can also learn a lot about these shadows in the cave. And that tends to occur whether or not we have this understanding of the light outside the cave. Um, so understanding that light, which is just the fundamental suchness or thusness or isness of everything that's arising, it's like in an ocean, um, there are waves that are bigger and smaller but all of them are equally wet. It's the wetness of the whole ocean. <laughs> I've never heard that analogy. That is so good. <laughs> I like that. That's very good. So you can be on a bigger wave and you can be in a smaller yeah. wave, but they're all equally wet. And if yeah. you experience wetness anywhere, you've experienced yeah. it everywhere. Yeah. That's yeah. the ground. That's an yeah. infinite exactly. term of ground. Yeah. It's fully yeah. present in. Yeah. But even if you're you know, paying all sorts of attention to this wetness, the wetness won't tell you anything about actual waves, how big they are, how yeah. tall they are, how much they weigh, what they're, you know, any of that. So we started plugging into ways to or help you surf shadows. That yeah, well, the increasingly we got into this notion that um, well, because first person, you know, we tend to have a hard time sharing that. So as we got into more even sort of third person materialistic types of orientation, some people even say, well, that that's not even real. I mean, you just have to forget it. So it's just a black box, and there's no way it can scientifically be studied. So we, we don't pay any attention to that anyway. The brain, that's what you can see. That's a third person. So the brain is real. Mind, we don't know what the mind is. Who cares? So psychology is just behaviors. We have to just watch exterior actions, and you don't even try to get into what interior mind is because there's no way to verify that. Um, so we have those kinds of um, increasingly third-person objective approaches to the world and, and one of the reasons we've been sort of got less emphasis on these interiors is that when we, we 
sort of the first modern sciences really were invented in 1600, 1700. And they weren't the invention of just a third person objective way to look at the world. People had done that before. Aristotle was brilliant in, in yeah. that sense. But certainly according to Alfred North Whitehead, modern science, the modern form of that objective view, a uh, modern approach to science was simultaneously and, and independently in, invented by Kepler and Galileo when they both suggested that the laws of nature are best to be understood by measurement. Yeah. And that was new. Nobody had ever really said, okay, we're going to measure the shit yeah. out of everything. Yeah. So Kepler started measuring all the planetary motions yeah. and came up with laws governing that. Galileo started measuring earthly motions, famous dropping stuff out of the lean therapies and all that. Came up with laws of terrestrial motion. And then the super genius Isaac Newton tied both those together with the universal laws of, of gravity and, and, and force and motion. Um, and that was, um, that was an extraordinary step forward. And it really was holistically oriented. I mean, Charles Taylor points out that the most common concept in the Western Enlightenment is what the French philosophers call the system de la nature, the system of nature. It's this interwoven, interlocking, single vast universal whole system. John Locke even called it the great interlocking order. Yeah. And that's what it was. Yeah. And they weren't trying to be reductionistic at first, because the second most common idea in the Western Enlightenment, according to Arthur Lovejoy, was the great chain of being. Okay. Yeah. And the Christian version that's yeah. matter, body, yeah. mind, soul, yeah. spirit. And so all these Enlightenment philosophers were out measuring everything. And unfortunately in that chain, it's really easy to measure matter. It's yes, not it's easy it. to it's measure body feelings. And, 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 and easy to make it repeat. Well, Not easy to get it to repeat. It's like, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it, it, I can pretty much guarantee this will keep falling, but I have no yeah. idea what you're going to say next. Yeah, well, it, they didn't think that they were being reductionistic because they, they all believed in this great chain of being. That wasn't a problem. They just yeah. assumed it was all still out there. Yeah. But they were measuring it. So they did come up with the idea that everything is interwoven, is these vast interlocking systems of objective, measurable, material things. In other words, the lower right quadrant, that's what was real. So everything sort of got reduced to that. And even though they themselves didn't do it with a century or two of that, everybody using that system had just completely left yeah. out interiors because they weren't measuring them, they weren't part of the scheme, they weren't coming up with any laws or rules or regulations doing that. Um, and it was a real. So, in terms of bringing that back, or finding it in a new way, I mean, you mentioned before we started filming, you talked about how in Europe, you know, I'm from England, and it, it, religion, you know, I've been writing about religion, being critical of it sometimes, and it's felt like a bit like kicking a corpse. It's like, look, it's done. Right. Obviously, it's not worldwide, but uh, so there's this huge secular thing, and and. One of the reasons I do my work is because it feels like I have these intuitions about the things that you've been exploring, and I want to be able to hold up my head and go, this is a rational, reasonable thing. You may not agree with me, but I'm not an idiot for saying there is such a thing as awakening. I want to say, I'm, you're not an idiot to say, I think the soul survives the death of the body. That you, you can hold. But the feeling in our culture is, no, you are an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, no sane, no thoughtful person. You're, and so somehow it feels like what, 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 what science has done, or that whole the Enlightenment, is it swept away the mythic, that's the irrational. Right. That's right. And now it gives room for a rational spirituality or a transrational spirituality, which can actually embrace that and then go, yeah. and also, yeah. 
here's something which can address these deep things which otherwise we'll miss. Yeah, and they tried doing that. I mean, there were, there were rational approaches, deism and so on, which sort of accepted all the laws and rules of science, but then there was this sort of thing that wound yeah. it all up yeah. at the beginning and so on. Um, one of the crucial items is, is that, again, there, there, there was that fundamental distinction between knowledge by acquaintance and knowledge by description. Um, and but in terms of we can come back to that, but to, to finish up Sorry. on your point, whether yeah. there's goodness in this thing. Okay. Um, even if you track um, just the objective exterior third person scientific account of evolution, there is something called the second law of thermodynamics, and it does say if you take a chunk of the physical universe, cut it off, put it in a box, and watch it, it runs down. And that's fine. I mean, if you put a drop of ink in a glass of water, it will disperse. It, will, it won't draw up like that. But if you put that physical thing back in with the rest of the physical universe and watch it for a billion years or so, it winds up. Yeah. And so uh, that dispersed ink did come together into drops called living cells. Yeah. So we went from these some you know strings or whatever it was back there, and then quarks, and then quarks came together into subatomic particles. Subatomic particles came together into whole atoms, whole atoms came together in molecules, whole molecules came together into cells, cells into multicellular organisms. That's winding up. Yeah. And that's, um, and Ilya Pershing got the Nobel Prize for demonstrating that even in matter itself, dead and sentient, non living matter has a tendency to create order out of chaos. And you take a material system, push it far from equilibrium, and it will escape that tension by jumping to a higher level of real order. An example I always use if you're just running water down down a sink and it's just all chaotic and all of a sudden it makes a whirlpool. It just spontaneously jumps into an ordered state. And it was often just called order out of chaos. But the point was that that's inherent in the material universe. That's going all the way back to the Big Bang. And so if there is this drive to greater unity, greater wholeness, yeah. greater inclusivity, yep. those all start sounding a lot like love. And at the very least, you can certainly say there is, I mean, if you're going to have any sort of notion of... So the thing which was starting creating those primitive holons is going to end up as love. And, and, and some, not all, but some metaphysicians would say, yeah, and those things are um, potentials in Saguna, Brahman. Uh -huh. uh, not Nirguna, Brahman. Nirguna, for one reason, you can't say... It doesn't have anything potential because it doesn't lack anything that needs to manifest and become actual. Everything about ultimate reality is real. It doesn't have parts that's, that, that's still. That's just the, the, the point about, um, well, Aristotle's unmoved mover. It, it doesn't have any potentiality in it um, because it's already fully actualized. It, it can't be just an acorn and also be the ground of all yeah, it has to be a full oak. Okay. If it's going to be. Yeah, like kind of. But Saguna, with these qualities of capital love, capital being, capital consciousness, um, that's a different story. And, and you can either see, well, okay, some of the things that this infinite ground of all being, it is giving rise everything moment to moment. So what, what's that? The process actually, how's that actually occur? And one of the common views is that, at least in just these broad realms of this great chain of being, this 
matter to body to mind to soul to spirit yeah. that's and spirit throws itself out to create something as yeah. this mystery actually starts to take a form yeah then it the only way it can go is down so it steps down a bit and creates this thing called soul okay so do you go with this i know it's the great no, chain of I'll being i'll tell you in, in a bit okay because it, and then I want soul that, throws what... itself out to create a so that's, form that's called the... mind and it forgets what it's doing. And yeah, the mind throws yeah, it out to create body, yeah. and body throws itself out to create matter, and bang, there's the Big Bang. And, you're in, yeah. and at the Big Bang, there are no living bodies, there are no conceptual minds, there's no living so, souls. So my problem with matter. that is, yeah, but why would you say that? Whereas if you go for just this one process of it starting with the most primitive, even if it's happened before, even if it's repeating what other universes have done it's just building on the past like this moment is it's building on the past as a birth of the new universe and it's starting some that the, the whole and that actually it looks like soul psyche or, these are coming last they're not there in first and what would that mean that they're there first and so it seems to lack that it's like you're putting you're picking something up and just putting it at the beginning like you put god at the beginning rather well, than say you know one of the things about the why i like the word potentiality is you can it feels like you can justifiably put it at the beginning because sure. it must well, be there otherwise would, it couldn't come from it so that would be so do you think that do you go with that full if you're what i believe about that whole movement which is called involution involution you, you um, think that Plotinus called it efflux yeah and then the return is evolution and he called it reflux yeah it's return and what you find in in, in a whole lot of metaphysicians including even even or what, what do you think well, okay, I'll get to that. <laughs> but you get the sense that they sort of think that every single thing that exists now um, is a product. It actually was manifest as spirit through itself outwards. So it's actually up there someplace. So I hate so that idea. Hugh, I don't. I don't. I, Houston Smith would say, "Well, those are archetypes, and 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 then when something new emerges on Earth, the archetype falls down from heaven and pops into existence." I yeah, go, but why would you say that? Totally idiotic. Yeah. Um, but, what, but here's, the, here's the question. We can make a legitimate assumption based on common Satori experiences and, and how people tend to find, tend to interpret those and what they what yeah. tend to say those mean. Yeah. Um, that there is some type of ground of being yeah. and that it is manifesting all of this. Yeah. And all of this is, is very much sort of one with it, but yeah. it is this outflow. Yeah, definitely. So the question is, there is this extraordinary, I'll just call it spirit capitalist. Yeah. And then does it it if it's throwing itself out just in terms of the amount of reality or the degree of being or whatever it is, doesn't that step down in some sense? Or is everything that's manifest out here also just spirit and there's no difference between the two? Or does it step up? And what, what strikes me about our understanding, the kind of scientific myth, if you like, the, the story we have now, is it's such a coherent story, albeit, you know, a beginnings of a story, in which we're stepping up. So you've got from the sort of coming in and out of potentiality you can see in quantum physics through to these building blocks, which will emerge on these higher levels and transcend each other. And, and it's such an elegant story because it's all there right in front of you. And then this level that you and I are experiencing of, let's say, psyche or soul or mind, all those names, has come from that. Now, obviously, it's implicit in it, but I don't know where it needs to be before yeah. the whole process. Well, what I think has happened is... Yes, what do you think? That's what I want to hear. Um, I think, I think it, it makes an enormous amount of sense to say okay. that 
in, in, in metaphoric terms, spirit is throwing itself outward and in a certain sense downward. Okay. It's not, and I don't, I don't even care in, in this part of the story whether you include potentiality in, in spirit or not. If okay. you want to, it's fine with me yeah. on this part of the story. So yeah. you could say, well, spirit is that what has more potential than but, anything. But what's those levels? It can levels create more than anything else. That are there before. There's, there's, the, there's nothing. The, just ever-present spirit from yeah. all time and, and all it comes down. So if we're going to say, among other things, that spirit is spirit because it has more potential than any other thing anywhere in the world. So yeah. it's stepping down an amount of potentiality that can be the number of creative different things that it can do. And so when you get down to matter, for example, you can a good physicist can tell you where Jupiter will be 100 years from now. Yeah. Uh, the best biologist in the world can't tell you where a dog will be a minute from now. Okay, so, so for me, what dog that has more to, creativity. Yeah. So what that points to to me isn't any of this stuff which was the great chain of being and the way we thought of it then. It feels like look, there is let's there is something which is potential and spirit. I like sure. spirit. Spirit's a good word. Which is manifesting itself, probably based on the past, but manifesting itself in this unique way, in a, in, in the most simplistic ways, and the potentiality doesn't get any less. It's always infinite, and it's here right now. Sure. It's just that what it's got to work with right now is your mind, whereas what it had to work with then was hydrogen. And so it's more repetitive, right. it's less creative, and it'll take a long time to develop. Now it's developing as we speak. Yeah. Now I think that part is true, and I think, I think the only thing that's actually getting manifest when this happens is since we've at least agreed that it's going from some sort of infinite, vast, unqualifiable potentiality. Yeah. And then whatever shows up down here, quarks or atoms yeah. or uh, protons, neutrons, they don't have nearly that kind of creativity. They don't even have life forms in them. But what we do have is this difference. Yeah. There's this vast morphogenetic field yeah. that almost acts like um, if you have a rock and then put a rubber band on your hand and, and then let it go. The rock is hanging on that rubber band and then you just hit it and it starts swinging back. And what it does do though is it slowly gets pulled up by the thing. Now I don't think it's getting pulled up through levels that are there already formed. I don't think it's getting pulled up to a body that has all of these fixed characteristics yeah. of biology and then it gets pulled up to a mind that has all of these already existing, already fixed, yeah. that were created in evolution. I don't think that happened. I think the only thing that happened in evolution is it created this broad morphogenetic field of differentials. There has to be something that happened in evolution, and conversely, some field that evolution is moving towards. It's moving towards something, and if it looks like it's moving towards something good, then the ultimate of that good is spirit. So there's a rubber band that's pulling it, in a sense, in that direction. Okay, okay, so you're, okay, so... so and all we find is these gradations. Going up. So you're saying it's you're saying the involution is kind of like the blueprint for what will be the return journey it's, in some um, way. It's a tilt. And I think I'm, what I'm saying is is that necessary? Using Occam's razor. Well, do we need? But that's what I'm doing. I'm taking only what's necessary from involution. Right. And that is acknowledge the difference between spirit and matter. Yeah. Even though matter is a form of spirit. Yeah. Got it. But then as spirit itself has qualities, as it's saguna, Brahman, then it is different from just matter. Okay, so for me, the saguna, one of the things for me was, I'm going to use the word God, because it's yeah. the same, but is sure. that what was going was a moment where I went, oh, look, if I put this being of love and oneness and all that, at the beginning of time, yeah. it doesn't work. 
which is why so many people have become atheists, because problem of evil, you know, in all its forms, and he's an idiot. I mean, why would you go, you know, why would you create a universe and go through all of this and 125 million years of dinosaurs? It's like, he's a mean son of a bitch, and he's not the God I experience. But if I take him and put him at the end, or rather, if I go, God is that Saguna, it's not where it's coming from, it's where it's going. Suddenly, it redeems everything. Right. Because it's, it's moving towards that. Right. And now it's here, because we can experience it. Well, here's where you use Occam's razor. Um, in terms of what's actually there, or not, at the beginning, yeah. um, we, we're certainly acknowledging that, that ultimate infinite potential spirit yeah. is there. That's the That's ground. That's the ground, all the way right. through. Yeah. So then the question is, in terms of just the manifest realm itself, just, just the yeah. shadows that start yeah. to show up, do they show any directionality at all? Because if they do... Well, here's, and, the, here's the direction. There's two things. What, one of the directionalities is simply... Well, the phrase I like to use is kind of... It, it, it's something I think Rupert Sheldrake is, is responsible for this years ago, but is that the past doesn't pass, it accumulates. That, so that, that there's more and more past all the time. So well, each moment transcends and includes... includes exactly, exactly. By, by the way, can I just tell you, I think that's one of the most beautiful phrases Great. I've ever come across. Great. So each moment transcends, and, and, and each previous moment is, precedes and supports it. Yes, absolutely. So that you've got this. And so that's the, 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 there's going to be a tendency towards emergence, towards evolution. Because absolutely. it's just building Order up. out of chaos. Um, of course, the other thing which kind of blurs it is my, my sense, personally, is if you, you know, obviously with the anthropic problem that you know it's so well set up and all of that stuff and yeah. Roger Penrose's thing that 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 my personal approach would be to say well probably what that means is we're not the first universe and that the universe is doing what other universes is done which is why it has a directionality because same reason as that Tim turned into a human being because it's re repeating the past in a creative way because that's what the whole of reality is it's a repeat of the past in a creative way and that, that was a simpler way of understanding a process which enables us to, to keep with this thing which I'm playing with as a hypothesis here, which is what reality is, is that formless thing you're pointed so beautifully to, realizing itself. That, sure. And that, that's what it, you know, and that, that's it. <laughs> sure, and, and in terms of what actually is showing up down there at just that early material dimension, which is basically just, a spirit throws itself hard, you know, in, in, in outward, and, and he says, I'm just get, is low and dense and ignorant, and it's not living, and it's not conscious. I can get wherever that stops, it's a quark or electron or proton yeah, or yeah, whatever the hell. Yeah, the first thing. But that does have this, there's already an inherent tendency to wind up. Yes. It's not just going to run down. But is, I think that's in the process of time, isn't it? Realization. Just the thing about it. It doesn't matter right now. We're just saying it's there, it's there. at okay. the beginning. Okay, yeah. And so then you can use Occam's razor, and you can say, okay, well, now how much, how do we actually want to describe what's actually there, what it's actually doing? Is it a drive toward, is it just more order, that's it? Is, is it order that's more unified? Yeah. Or is it more whole? Yeah. Does that also end up meaning more conscious? Because Viet du Whitehead prehension goes all the way down. So there's a little bit of proto-awareness in electrons, and and I believe that they okay, have. Okay, so 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 the, the way. So that, just what are we calling this winding up? We already call it greater order, greater um, uh, unity, greater wholeness, greater consciousness. Those are happening at day one. Yes, they are. Fine. Then that. And then I'm willing to sort of stop there. 
these whole mental things, and the reason the anthropic principle isn't that big a problem, is that all you're measuring with the anthropic principle is just the material, ex exterior, material, objective things of something. You're yeah. not saying, oh, and here are the universal laws that govern how all thinking works. Those, those are merged. Those are new. Exactly. That's the way it looks to be, that there are certain things which are there right at the beginning, which come from the very essence of what it is, that will just continue to evolve. So, right. so my, my, the word I would prefer when people talk about panpsychism or everything being conscious never quite works for me because it feels like it hasn't got soul, it's not conscious. But what it has got is subjectivity. Your thing, you that's, absolutely. That's the word because it feels like what's happening right at the beginning is differentiation, individuation. Things are becoming individual, something distinct. Four quadrants show up. Yeah. So, and within that, they're becoming, everything is becoming more and more distinct. And everything is what I would call unividuating. I think you, you know, hol becoming holonic. Yep. It's becoming bigger, so that every everything which you can call a well, it's in time. So it's for me, it's a time stream. Everything which is a a, a, a realization of form in time has got a perspective on the whole, whether it's a hydrogen atom or eventually you and me. That the and that that relationship with the whole that it's reading it. They're like you know, like one chemical will read. The, other chemicals and will react in different ways. So you've got a high, you've got a, an electrochemical relationship becoming a sentient relationship, becoming a conceptual relationship, and that's what those are going. That's so it's evolving hand in hand, based on that simple separation that duality is, and that's going to show up in your quadrants. It's going to show up in subject and object. All of it is implicit in that initial, the, the, the fact that the one is now not just is meant. Sure, and there, that's where you run into however you want to handle Occam's razor. Um, because some degree of qualities that were originally present in spirit are showing up in some ways in this early level of spirit, this manifestation of spirit. So there's yeah. some degree of that there. And that does include um, a drive to increasing complexity, increasing yeah. order, yeah. Uh, increasing wholeness, yeah. increasing unity, increasing consciousness. Yeah. And, and that drive to creativity is an inherent part of that very first moment itself. That's another part of spirit that shows up in the smallest itty bitty thing we have. Whitehead had what he called three ultimates, which were three things that were necessary to get any universe up and running. And it was the one, the many, and the third was a really interesting one, the creative advance into novelty. Am I right in saying that he coined the word creativity? Who? Whitehead. I read that somewhere. I've always wanted to find out if it was true. I'll buy it. Because it's, it's a word I use all the time, and it seems to go. If but, somebody did invent it, he would. Yeah. So okay. So so with that. So so that when I when I said earlier, oh look, here is the infinite past, and implicit, and the infinite potential. One of the I, you can see I think in these these opposites, I find it easy. Yeah. Uh, is it feels like oh look that one is the, the function of that past is it repeats. It's the habits of nature. You know, on every level, and then the function of the potential is it's every moment's new. Right. So every moment includes everything that's happened. Every moment's new. So that cre the creativity for me, I put, I say that's what the formless is. That's that's its nature. It keeps on creating from what's already existent, and that those two are. Yeah, and what, if if you want to know, because um, the whole point is, I mean, even Hegel said, to supersede is at once to negate and to preserve. 
And that's it. That's there you go. That's the dialectic. So you're going to negate something. You're going to go beyond its limitations. You're going to transcend it. Yeah. And you're also going to preserve it. You're yeah. going to include it. So yeah. just, just transcend and include. And so the question becomes, okay, well, what exactly is, is included? What exactly is transcended or let go of? How does that actually work? And one of the ways to get a sense of that is um, just for a human being, although we, we, we postulate this essential kind of thing goes all the way down wherever there's prehension. And that is... Even though, again, these stages of development are not like rungs in a ladder, they're not that discrete and separate, all that. But you can use, just use a ladder uh, analogy to get a sense about um, developmental uh, unfolding. Because what happens when you step on a ladder, let's say it's 10 stages in a ladder. You step on the first rung, and so you're on that rung, and then you're seeing the world from that rung. And then you step up to the second rung, and then you're seeing the world from that rung. And then you step up to the third rung, and now you're seeing the world from that rung. And while you're on the third rung, the second rung and the first rung are still there. Yeah. I mean, if there weren't, you just yeah. collapse. What you don't have here is a view from yeah. rung one yeah. or a view yeah. from rung two. Those very, are yeah, yeah. transcendent. Very good. Those are let go. Those are yeah. negated. What's the same? The rungs. They include it. The actual yeah. territory. Itself. And isn't that the same with time generally? It's like this includes me going, oh, I wonder if I could get to see Ken Wilbur when I'm in, in Boulder. Right. But that's not here now, but it's, well, but it's there. I mean, yeah, that, that process happens with everything. It, when White has said every moment is a prehensive unification of the past, that's what prehensively unified are those basic rungs of existence, yeah. the actual territory. So, I mean, even when you get something like a model, a, a molecule, it has actual atoms in it. In it, yeah. But if you were looking at sort of, okay, let's, let's talk about, let's say, the leading edge consciousness of the biggest hole on any given time. So when there were nothing but atoms, atomic consciousness was like the leading edge. And yeah. if you had atomic consciousness, you had more than electron yeah. consciousness yeah. and proton yeah. consciousness. Yeah. You'll agree with you. And so you're sort of the leading edge right there, you yeah. big man on campus. And then molecules <laughs> come along. And also you're up inside <laughs> oh, a molecule. Yeah. And now a whole molecule thing. consciousness. Yeah. You're not the, yeah. you still got your consciousness, yeah. but it's not king of the block. So those kinds of things are happening. That happens with, with humans as well. So, so we... Delved into that whole formless emptiness. Right. Talked about some of so much to say about the evolutionary process. The place I want to jump to, if you don't, if you're all right to go there, because it, it, I'll just knock over your house. The place I want to go to is well, there you go, quite appropriate. Is death? Yeah. Uh, you know, I believe you've been close to death a few times. Um, I'm getting older, and I can feel it coming. I've been around a lot of dying people in my life, lots and lots and lots. Um. The uh, what's what's going to happen when you die, Ken? What's yeah. what you know? What, what what is that for you personally? What is that, and how do you feel about it? As it's there's that ultimate mystery, and there's that relative perspectives on it. Um, what you, what, is, I, well, what where never, have you ended? I've never had a trouble um, believing the ultimate view of something like reincarnation, because um, Shankara represented that view, and this isn't the controversial part for me at all. But Shankar said, the Lord is the one and only transmigrant. Yeah. And on, the, on the deepest it. level. It, one yeah. consciousness, yeah. one mind, one yeah. spirit, got it. And that's yeah. manifesting yeah. in all these things. Yeah, that's it. easy to get. Ideas. That's no problem. Although some it, people don't believe that. That's true. But um, that's, that kind of, it's an right. easy place to go because, you, yeah, it's yeah. life. What we want to know is, does my individual ego or individual soul make it into another body after this body does dies? Does it matter enough that it survives? And my feeling is... It really does. And because it's taken 13.8 billion years to get to the evolution of this level of individuality, 
and it feels significant that that's happened. It doesn't feel like, oh yeah, and then just a drop back into the ocean. It feels right. like that matters. Right. Yeah, and Orbindo felt it was only when the individual holon actually got sophisticated and complex and unified enough that it would then start to transmigrate. That's my own intuition. It's yeah. the same. Is, is that yours? Well, I do, and I think um, I also think that there's um, a fair amount of, of fairly uh, decent evidence on what what actually happens from one living state to another state. The whole sort of post mortem traversing kind of bardo thing. Yeah, and things like the Tibetan Book of the Dead um, give a give a, a pretty interesting account of that. Yeah. Um, and what makes it seem to fit is that if you look at virtually any of the overall sort of major spectrum of being and consciousness, the different traditions have come up with versions on matter, body, mind, soul, yeah. spirit. Um, those have, um, if you look in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, it says that essentially exactly those states of consciousness unfold, and they unfold in that order. And what's interesting about the um, Tibetan system is that it's not that as you die that you sort of, um, and, then, and then you have to die, and then you go through these steps where you're closer and closer and closer to this ultimate clear light, void, emptiness, mystery. It's on the moment of actual death, you are plunged directly into that yeah. radiant, infinite, eternal, yeah clear light void. And if you recognize it, then in essence, everything else that happens is a choice. You, you know what's happening and you, you can do that. Um, and and it, it's also more likely that you can help to govern what happens in that postmortem state. Because the strong conclusion of folks like the um, Tibetan Buddhist practices is that that in between bardo state is essentially an, an extensive, mostly subtle state. So it's just like a dream state. Yep, yep. And so if you've practiced meditation during your life and you have practiced, you got to a point where you could lucid dream, for example. First thing you find out in lucid dream is you can control it. Yes, yeah. I want to do this, I want to do yeah. that, I want to do that. Yeah. Well, if, if, you're, if you're used to doing that and you can do that, that's what you'll do in the postmortem yeah. state. Yeah. It'll be a lucid dream. And you will make these choices. Okay, so that fits to me with the area I've been exploring. Let me see if it fits to you. Sure. So uh, I've just been talking about this at TEDx Berkeley, actually. God knows how I got away with it, but I did. Um, I think uh, here's a, here's a kind of different language for it. Which so tell me if this fits. It looks to me like okay, this evolutionary process has taken us to. It's gone from causal matter to narrative psyche. It's, it's gone from matter to something which isn't made of matter. It's nowhere to be found, but we're in it right now. So we're in these two worlds. We're in a physical, biological world, and we're in this other world, the imagination, the something. And that's come from this, it seems, but now exists in its own right. Mm -hmm. And then, so when, I, when I've started casting the, the question of, well, what is death? The question, that, the way I find myself framing it is, okay, when the body dies, then clearly the experience of the body is sensation. So that's going to stop. But the experience of the psyche or soul is imagination. Does that stop? And then when I look at the, the, the things like the, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and when I look at all the hundreds and thousands of near-death experiences, they sound like dreams. 
And yeah. my question is, then for me is, it looks like, yeah, dreams, but not illusions. Dreams right. as the most emergent, the imaginal realms, the Sufi thing. The, 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 this is not. This is actually the world of images is the most emergent level of this evolutionary process, which now exists in its own right. It's arisen from this, but it's now its own thing, and we exist in that right now, and we continue to exist in that, and maybe move between and the transmigration of psyches cells. Right. Um, but that 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 really what we're seeing is entering into deeper into the imagination, just like when we dream. You know, if you withdraw the sensations into sleep. You can be in something so amazing and real that it, well, it is real. It's a it's a different level of reality. Yeah. Does that, well, does that resonate sure. with what and, you're saying? And, and there's a there's a um, a fairly consistent understanding of um, just what something like being a dream means, um, and how in some ways it's completely illusory, in other ways it can represent actually higher states. Yes. Um, and so even the word Maya, for example, which most people no, as meaning just an illusory world or dream world. The, the word actually comes from um, a word that we would use is the um, the things that a magician does to make you think you pull around. I was going to say that. magic. Yeah, yeah. that's what I, it, I've always magic. thought of it as magic. All right. Um, and so, um, if you see the magician itself, in other words, if you see that it's spirit doing this, then it's not an illusion. It becomes an actual manifestation of spirit itself. It's a modification of that absolute infinite ground of being, and 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 that it's a direct uh, manifestation of that. And you, since you are one of that ground of being, you are one of all the forms of manifestation that occurs. And so that it, that's no longer an illusion at that point, even though it is a trick. It's still coming out of nothing. Is that? The, did you mean? You know, I'm, I'm just what came to mind then was the the the, the line from. Ramana Maharshi, where I think he said something like, the world is an illusion if I see it as separate from myself and real if I know it is one that's with right. myself. Yeah. That's right. And that's, and that's what eventually started increasingly happening in terms of this vast mystery and then this all the little things that we could be aware of and know. Um, originally, those really you tried to separate those and you tried to get into nirvana and get rid of samsara and all of these actual manifest things you can really know and touch and feel. That's not mystery. That's... Yeah, so we, we got it. As a matter of fact, those cause suffering and pain, and it's horrible. And it's, in a, it's a fallen world. It's an illusory world. It has original sin. It's broken. On and on and on. So what you want to do is get out of those shadows and into the light, and only into the light. I mean, you really want to get into this vast, unmanifest perfection, and that's it. But as as we went on, people like Nagarjuna and Plotinus started saying, "Okay, wait, wait a minute. There's actually an underlying unity to all of that." Um, and that's called non-duality. Um, and so we really had to start plugging in to ways in which we could fully embrace this mystery. And everything was arising within that mystery. And so we can, we can know those individual things with what we call relative truth, so we can actually do science on them. We can actually measure them and find what repeats itself. And we can come up with ideas and theories. And that's all these just objective manifest things. But there's also this ground of being. And if we want to know anything that's ultimately real, all of this stuff changes and shifts and comes and goes. And um, But one thing doesn't change. Being and becoming. Yeah. And, and so you can actually be that. Yeah. And it's that being that is, is known as enlightenment, awakening, metamorphosis, moksha. And that universally is held to be the single path to ultimate truth. So, 
So All these others are important, but they're relatives, they're and they're not two. So on, on, I'm, I'm uh, feeling like, you know, okay, so here's, here's the question I would like to end our conversation on, um, to bounce between us. It, look, so here we are. Um, you're a bit older than me. You've done all of this stuff, um, but I'm getting older. I'm looking at it going, oh, that, here comes you know, illness, old age, death, yep. and then off we go. Yep. Uh, I've had all of these purposes and aspirations, yep. and you know, maybe yep. they'll come to anything, maybe they won't. Yep. For you, looking ahead back at that, where, where, where is it on a personal level? Where, what does it feel like? What, is it, what do you see there that, you know, what can you tell me from a few years on? What's, what's the, what, you know, what does it mean? Right. Yeah. Well, one of the ways that you can start to get access to this mystery as, as it, it's directly existing at the core of your being. Yeah. And how what you actually are is that mystery. Yeah. Is, um, it's a practice that a lot of the traditions use to help people understand Turiya, or what is it that's actually aware at this moment. And so you can start by knowing what's your true self, what's your real self, who are you? And you can start by just asking people to make a list of what, what, you, what you are, describe yourself. Um, let me hear what this true self is. They go, oh, well, okay, I'm this tall, and I weigh this much, and I'm this old, and I make this much money, and I got this education, and I'm in this relationship, and I drive this kind of car, and it's on and on and on and on. And the point of the, the traditions is that, well, that's fine, but those are all objects. Those are all things that can be seen. Now, what's the seer? Not something that you can see. That, right, don't care what that is. Yeah. I mean, all the things that you describe as being part of yourself, they're not even a real subject. They're all objects. Yeah. So what is it that's seeing? Yeah. And that's usually described with things like nete, nete. Yeah. It's not this, yeah. it's not that. They say, wait, okay, now what is that a witness? Yeah. One of the things that will start to unfold is when you realize that that witness literally, so all these objects are arising. It's arising in... So, so, sorry, can I just, so do you think that becomes, because when I look at old age, you know, I was with, I was with Rob Dust a few years ago after his stroke in, and having dinner with him and yeah. looking at that, and there was that lively, incredible mind moving really slowly, still very funny, but, you know, like, and it's like, so does that, do you think that, you know, as you get older that becomes easier, or does it sometimes also become harder? Does it be, you know, is that challenge of, engagement of decline physically and maybe mentally that 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 you know because it's nice when it feels like yeah i'm evolving forward and how do you see that part of the, the well, life journey it, in part it depends on on just how deep your realization of that because here's the point i mean when you say it's not this it's not that it's not i not this object that i can say this is because it's emptiness it is mystery itself yeah only that mystery is what's doing the looking yeah. at all this other stuff. And you can't know that. It literally is. I mean, you pick up anything on like the cloud of unknowing. Yeah, yeah. And it's shocking. It's that God is not love. God yeah. is not light. Yeah. God is not real. God is not good. It's everything you can bloody think of. Yeah. No, it's just all objects, all things that can be seen. Yeah. It's not the seer. So it's the knower, not anything known. It's the feeler, not anything felt. It's the seer, nothing seen. And if you really get into that and get in that vast emptiness that that is, that's what you are. That's the core of what you are. 
And so you start doing that, and you really get that, for example, if you just sort of get a sense of the witnessing yeah. awareness. Yeah. You notice that it's aware of stuff that's occurring inside. It's also aware of stuff that's occurring outside. That's it's the same relation. Yeah. So it's not even inside. You no. can't even locate it. No. It literally is spaceless. It's and it's time. It's, yeah. At is pure ground of being is mystery itself appearing in you. And that's what you really are. That's your true self. Yeah. And then as you push into that even further, then that strange non-dual flip occurs. Where you say, okay, now I'm back here. I'm just witnessing this. I'm not that. And I'm witnessing this. I'm not that. It's all arising. It's all arising. Now I'm saying, well, it, well, it's arising. It's arising in my field. It's arising in me. I'm not witnessing the mountain. I am the mountain. I'm not witnessing the stars. I am the stars. I'm not feeling the earth. I am the earth. It's all. And all of a sudden, then you get this ultimate unity consciousness of dual awareness. So as you start to theoretically, what would happen with a human being as they got older and older and older is there are more and more things that they used to identify with that just drop off. Yeah. And they're either, either things in like their physical body that actually drop off yeah. or yeah. <laughs> stop working yeah. or just, you know, um, or it's spouses have died, parents have died, you know, they, they, they've moved out of this place and they just see all of these things that just kept passing and passing. And what hasn't changed? The mystery of their own self, that pure I amness. And I amness, it's not I am this or I am that, it's just that pure, pure I, am. I amness, which yeah. itself is a vast open emptiness. Yeah. And before Abraham was, I, I am. am. Hey, yeah. That's absolutely right. So theoretically, as people get older, they would get closer to that. And there is that general tendency. And when we do describe sort of the wisdom of old age, or sometimes we'll see, you know, really old people, and they're just radiant, they're yeah. just glowing. Yeah, my mom was wow, like, wow, I that. Yeah. Um, that's what is happening, I believe, when that happens. But sometimes, you know, you can get stuck and fixated. I guess that can happen at every level, can't it? It can. It can. Yeah, young and, and vital. In fact, it happened a lot to me when I was young and vital. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it can get it, it can take on sad forms yeah. with old okay, people become bitter and yeah. jaded and it all sucks and you know, it's just terrible. Not realizing that they rest in that mystery. Other metaphors for that mystery are Satchitananda, being yeah. consciousness bliss. bliss. There's an absolute radiant ecstasy. Yeah at not having to be identified with any one of the, You really are free of these things. Yeah, the same kind of freedom as a Vietnam monk setting themselves on fire and being radically free of that. That is your own deepest mystery. And it can't be qualified or categorized or pigeonholed like that. It's a constant stream of, of absolute joy. Well, one of the things which has been a great delight about this conversation, Ken, is the number of times you've said the word mystery, because because th three books ago, yeah. I wrote my book called The Mystery Experience, because it just felt like that's where it all starts, that's where it finished. I don't think I've ever given a talk that I haven't started and ended with a mystery. And to hear someone of your intellectual know it all Scope, <laughs> yeah. root us consistently right. back into the mystery has been absolutely divine been wonderful and uh, a, a real delight to hear that that's where wonderful. you also you root and keep taking us back to yeah. that huge thing yeah the cloud of unknowing yeah just
Yeah. That's been really inspiring and cool. kind of surprised. I mean, not that I, I knew. I get, I, it. I, get I, it. I absolutely knew you'd have it. Yeah. I just didn't expect just how foundational it was going to be for you. Yeah. And I love it. It's yeah. a beautiful. And there's something, the reason I always start and end with the mystery is there's something deeply humbling about it. Because yeah, it's, it's the true. place where we all meet as, yeah. as, as what we are. Absolutely. So, God, it's been such a pleasure. And thank you for, you know, this is why I think, you know, if, if there is no life after death or if that's the end, it would be such a tragedy because when I see someone like yourself who's individuated and as you have, right. it just feels like that is like the most beautiful thing I can imagine in the universe that we've done that. And that, right. that's a precious thing that needs to continue to bloom. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there, may one it be of, so. One of the wonderful things about these sort of metaphysical views is that as long as you really do get clear the distinction between just knowledge by description, yeah, not really, that's and a knowledge by acquaintance. Yeah. Um, that there, there really is, um, it, it really does reflect areas in which you really can say, you know what, I'm basically this is good stuff. Um, ultimately, mystery, we have no idea what's really happening. We could wake up tomorrow and get it eaten by an Orborg serpent for all we know. I mean, seriously. <laughs> but on balance, we stand back and reflect on all that mystery. And it seems to have these patterns we can recognize. It seems to have these currents and these do tend to be headed in ways that can be called love and consciousness and bliss. See, and that's the thing. That's the thing. It's like the mystery is all those things you've said. It's on everything. It's on. Yeah. But when I, which aren't um, which is particular, reflect on it, right? There's something good. Yeah. It and and it does not seem to be an accident. It does not. Thank you. <laughs>